Ladies and gentlemen, and fellow golfers, for your entertainment. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa, brought to you by the Hagen Oaks Golf Super Shop, America's most awarded golf facility. Nature Wood Home Furnishings, where it's all about choices and always about quality. Welcome in. This is another edition of the Golf to Go Radio Hour on Sacktown Sports 1140. I'm Frank LaRosa. He's Scott Marsh. And Scott, we have so little time for an intro because we've got such great stuff on today's show. But I wanted to talk about Adam Johnson's poker party. I wanted to talk about the fact that I spent the weekend with Steve Young and Nick Faldo. And uh, there's so much going on. And what we're going to do is save that till next week and get right into our first guest today, Phil Oates, who is the uh, real estate developer and a philanthropist here in Sacramento. And we want to talk about his big charity tournament coming up uh, in, is it September? Yeah, I believe it's October, but uh, still, it's it's coming up. It's one of the big events on our calendar, and of course, part owner of the Sacramento Kings and just one of the most beloved in our, in our community, and it's going to be great to have him on. Tom Morton, uh, Director of Instruction at uh, Hagen Oaks, uh, with, uh, will drop by with a, with a tip or two, which always helps my game, and I think yours as well. So uh, we have a lot coming up on the Golf to Go Radio Hour here on Sacktown Sports 1140. Stay right here with us, right back after this. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa on Sacktown Sports. Welcome back into the Golf to Go Radio Hour here on Sacktown Sports 1140. Hi, I'm Frank LaRosa along with Scott Marsh. And Scott, we uh, have been trying to put this interview together for a long time, and I'm really excited to welcome uh, Phil Oates, a real estate developer and chairman of the board uh, with Buzz Oates Group, to the show. Uh, Phil, welcome to the show, and thanks for being with us. No, it's my pleasure, my honor to be here. You know, you are... Um, you are certainly uh, uh, one of the most uh, in, incredible members of our, of our community, and uh, the uh, as you say, the chairman of the board of uh, a very very successful company. And I, I noticed you are quick to uh, to give some of the credit to the success of your company to to your dad, Buzz Oates. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, and people have to differentiate in our time together here. Buzz Oates is also my father, and Buzz Oates is also the name of the company. Mm-hmm. So talk about my dad, you know, he got out of the war with just very few dollars in his pockets and worked hard, worked honestly, and uh, became a trusted person to invest money with. And when he died, he'd gone from zero to almost a billion dollars in one lifetime. Incredible man. And and um, as as you, uh, an incredible member of, uh, of the Sacramento community, you... Um, you've 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 got your hand in a little bit of everything i mean again you're you're a very successful developer you are you are very um big in your church and very supportive there you have been extremely supportive to uh to the sacramento kings and and on and on and on and on tell me what it means to you to be a member of a community like uh like sacramento and uh and why you continue to do what you do well i am Third generation sacrament, and I use that title proudly. Sometimes I'm not happy what we do, but <laughs> I'm proud to be part of this community. And uh, you know, Sacramento is unique. It's not a small town anymore, but it's also, if you know your way around and you know people, it's a very homey community. And my family's raised here. My dad's family, including me, and my sister, we were all raised here. And we love the community. One of the things I find interesting in in your work, you certainly deal with uh, 
with some of the most successful people in Sacramento. And uh, so your friends, you can count on pretty much all strata of the community. Uh, you know, to, uh, Kings fans on, on one hand and, and captains of industry on the other. Uh, is, is it tough balancing that or is it just I'm, I'm Phil Oates and, and here's what I've got for you? Well, you know, if I can be bold and get religious with you, this is really the policy that I've lived my life like the last, probably the last 15, 20 years. And uh, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for everybody. And sometimes we think it's only the special people he died for. He died for everybody. So every person in Frank and Scott that I encounter, God died for that person. And I don't even have to like the person, but that gives them worth. That gives them value. And I think that uh, it's not how much money you have in the bank. It's not how tall you are, thank God. It's, <laughs> it's just he died for everybody. And how we accept that is what divides us in our faith. But uh, I believe he at least died for everybody. So that gives him value. Well, and that certainly um, is is one of the distinguishing characteristics of you. Um, the support of your uh, church, the strength of your religion, and 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 how you live your life—it's um, it's sometimes difficult, I'm guessing, to uh, you know to to come up with uh, situations in business where you know your your values are tested. But uh, from what I see, <laughs> they always come out right on top. Um, first of all, we talk about the business. I've got three great partners. Larry Alba is our CEO, and Kevin Ramos and Dan Corfi. Uh, I'm in a stage, I'll be 72 next week, and I'm in a stage of life where I'm not in here every day. I'm not going to lie to you. And uh, the people that really run our company and make the day-to-day decisions are those three guys. And we have a motto around here, just two simple words, humility and patience. And I think we got that from my dad. I think that serves us well because uh, people come back to us to do business. I think we've got a very good record, a very good reputation in this town. And you know, a good reputation is the hardest thing to earn and the easiest thing to lose. And we we treasure our reputation in this town and value it very much, very much so. True words, true words. Uh, you know, I'm somewhat late to the party in in getting to know you um, and uh, look forward to spending more time together. But Scott, you've you've known Phil for a number of years now. Um, talk about how you described him to me. You know, Phil is one of not only the most successful people in our area, he's just one of the nicest, kindest people you could ever know. And, you know, I was fortunate uh, working at the station for a long time. I, I know Phil from being a caller to the radio station, Phil from Fair Oaks, who would just call in and talk on shows. And Phil, you've always been a big sports fan. And I think some people don't realize this, but your passion was always basketball to begin with. I mean, you were a basketball coach and a teacher for a long time before you transitioned back into uh, the Buzz Oats company. Yeah, I've uh, let me say one thing real quickly. You know, one of the worst things, Scott, about becoming an owner of the Sacramento Kings is I can't call those. <laughs> What's that? I, have to, I have to sit on the sidelines and keep myself. <laughs> and personally, one, one I can share. That's true. I can't publicly say it over the radio. Um, yeah, I coached at Rio Americano. I coached at Capital Christian. I coached at a small Catholic junior high school when I was a junior in college. I played 
basketball and still is the idea of the small college. So I like basketball. I think we're people, and Scott, I think you'll agree with this. I love the game. I love the X and O's and the strategy. And yeah. my is, I mean, I've learned stuff at my age from Mike Brown. Mike Brown is a wonderful coach, both in the X and O's, in the authority yeah. he gives his, his co-coaches and treats them, doesn't treat them like assistants. He treats them like co-coaches and he treats them with honor. So I learned a lot about that. The reason I love basketball is the relationships and the people that I've met over the many years I've coached. Yeah. And I'll tell you a little secret. I'm actually going back into coaching next year. <laughs> we got, oh a, we got a scoop wow. here. What's yes. That? What's that? We said uh, we got a scoop here. Where, where, where would it go? Yeah. What, what's the plan? Yeah, I think that uh, they got a great coach. He's actually my assistant well over 10 years ago named Michael Lorente, and he's coached at American College. He knows more about basketball than I'll ever dream of. But I, I really have a passion for helping young people these days because I think this is a tough world to grow up in. It's tough to find what profession you want to be in. It could be outsourced tomorrow. And just the complexity of our world and the internet and uh, the school and Mike had trusted me enough that I'm going to be like a counselor for the kids and help them. They're a very good team. Probably going to be rated number one team preseason in Sacramento. And I know the challenges and people are trying to shoot arrows at you and the challenges of success. And I'd like to help this team navigate through it so they can reach their true potential. Well, well, that's we awesome should... news, and I'm glad because I know you, you have such a passion for that, Phil, and that, that's fantastic. Um, you know, one thing to share, because obviously your dad was such a, a, a genius in the business world, but I know one thing that we've talked about before, when you decided to, to buy the Kings, that, that's something your dad had had the opportunity to be a part of in prior years and, and it always passed up and wasn't really convinced about the NBA from an investment standpoint, but certainly for you, you, you saw the bigger picture and, and certainly the league is a much different place than what it was when your dad was considering it. Well, yes and no. My dad was an investor. He'd like to be able to touch things and feel it, a home, a business, you know, a building. He wasn't much like he would never buy Bitcoin. I mean, that yeah. would be so far beyond his understanding. And, uh, his best friend was Joe Bevenuti. And of course, Joe was the original guy that, along with Greg Lupinville, brought the Kings over. So he was always tied to going to the Kings and actually came in through the owners, uh, you know, that back area at the old arena, that submarine. He came in that way with the owners and nobody ever stopped him. Uh, when the mayor Johnson approached me in January 2013 about buying the Kings, I had always promised my dad I would never buy a pro team. And I was in a quandary. So I went to him and I said, Dad, can I use my money to buy a part of the Kings? And I heard how it wasn't going to be successful. And I was throwing my money away. But ultimately, he said yes. And uh, I would not have done it without his approval, even though it was my money. But I mean, let's face it, I made it working for him. I acknowledge that. Yeah. I just want a teacher, not many teachers on a pro basketball team. So... Um, but here's an interesting end of the story. My dad died in uh, December of 2013. And one of the saddest things is I really wanted him to come to a game with me as an owner and show him into all that stuff that owners yeah. get to do, back lounge and meet the neck. And 
And I never got to do that. But I mean, within a month of when he died, December of 2013, a month before, we were just talking because you know you could tell, you know, his time was coming soon. And he said, Son, I'm glad you bought the team. And he gave me his approval, his like good housekeeping seal of approval from both. Yeah. And uh, we parted company well on that. He would it's funny. Yeah. He never would concede that Joe Benvenuti made money buying the Kings, but anybody can go back to <laughs> you know, what he paid in 1975, no, 85, and uh, see what they're worth today. And I think I think Joe and the Benvenuti family did very well. <laughs> We're talking with Buzz Oates, uh, chairman of the Buzz Oates. I think it was a pretty good investment. <laughs> yes, it was. Buzz, uh, or, uh, Phil, um the uh, the Kings certainly captured our hearts this year, and uh, not that they haven't always had a piece of it, but it was much easier to cheer for them this year. Tell us what it was like being an owner uh, to go through the year we just had. It was a grind for me. Quite frankly, I quit taking people to games with me because I didn't want to have to talk to somebody. I wanted to, I wanted to watch the team, and I think that um, I think we're in a good place where we're letting the coaches coach and the players play and everybody has their role and understood. And I think when you're in a new business, like we were, there were some rough edges coming out. I'm not going to lie about it, but I think Vivek and Monty and, and Mike, they, they all know what they're each are doing and they respect each other. And I think that was huge. I think one of the coaching things that I noticed was, and it really can apply to anybody listening to this that coaches or deals with people. Mike Brown treated Domas and De'Aaron just the way he treated the 15th man on the team, if not harder. The Bible says to much is given, much is required. Mike required a lot of Domas and a lot of De'Aaron. They accepted that role. They set the example for the other team. And I don't know in the 10 years we've owned them if we've ever had that kind of dynamic. But my hat's off to the coaches. My hat's off to Domas and De'Aaron for accepting that responsibility because it is pressure. But if you'll notice, I, you know, Scott, you know more than I do, but it sounds like the Aaron and Keegan have been working together. I mean, that's leadership from Fox. Yeah. That's awesome. That's what the good teams do. Domas supposedly he's got the people up at his house. And, you know, they're not just checking out for the summer. They're accepting their leadership of the team. And uh, I, I think our, I really believe our better days are ahead of us. And last year was yeah. Yeah, it's pretty exciting, and you know it, it's interesting how how uh, Mike Brown has really um, not only been able to to uh, to coach the team and manage the team and mentor the team, but but it, it, w without looking for the fanfare, without looking for the respect, he certainly gained it from everybody. Our our common friend, the G Man, <clears throat> excuse me, Gary Gerald. Um, you know, when when people ask about the success of the team. That's the first two words out of his mouth, Mike Brown. And, uh, you know, when it's universally uh, accepted like that, it's it's pretty cool. But you're, yeah, you, and, uh, sorry, Scott, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and when they honored Gary Gerald for his 3,000th game broadcasting back in the, the locker room with the defensive chain gang and all that stuff, it just showed you how much team really meant for everybody, not just the players, but the organization, the broadcasters, everybody else. And as you know, Phil, in running a successful organization, it's about everybody feeling a part of the culture. 
Well, and that's what I was going to say. It's amazing whether it be a company like ours or the Kings or, you know, a restaurant or whatever. If people don't care who gets the credit and they're all in for the common good, great things will get accomplished. And I think that coin flips the other way too. When everybody's fighting for their piece of pie and got to get their piece, um, it's hard to reach your best. We are talking with uh, Phil Oates, and uh, this is a golf radio show. Even though we've been talking a lot about kings and business and and religion and so on and so forth, it's really, really uh, exciting to to have an opportunity to talk to Phil. But we're going to take a short break, and we're going to be right back. Uh, we'll talk to, to Phil about golf and how he got involved and what he loves about the game. This is the Golf to Go Radio Hour, Sacktown Sports, 1140. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa on Sacktown Sports. Golf to Go Radio Hour continues here on Sacktown Sports 1140. Hi, everyone. I'm Frank LaRosa along with Scott Marsh. Phil Oates, uh, the chairman of the board of Buzz Oates Group, is with us and uh, has been regaling us with stories about uh, the ownership of the Kings and, uh, you know, growing up in Sacramento and and uh, running a company and and his dad and so on and so forth. But as I said a bit ago, this is a golf radio show, and uh, and Phil is a bit of a golfer himself, and uh, one of the reasons we wanted to have him on the show. Phil, who put a golf club in your hand the first time, and what is it about the game you love so much? I don't, do you remember when there was that old court? It was not the current Cordova golf course, but the other uh, golf course on Jackson Road years ago. Yes. My company was by there, and I just went club, but I, I didn't get addicted until about the year 2000. I was 50 years old when I first decided to play. And the bank that supported our company at that time would always take the leaders of our company to Pebble Beach. And I would never go because I didn't golf. And I knew I was gonna spend the rest of my life working in this office for these people. And uh, I just decided I better golf. My index for the listeners, my index has never been below 20. I've not always had a good time. Sometimes I've gotten a little angry out there, but I love the game and I get to play and I know good golfers. So I've been able to win a few tournaments a day. And I sunk a long putt for the Lexus Open for amateurs at Pebble Beach. I had to sink about a six, eight footer downhill. And the caddy looked at me and said, you make it, we win. You miss it, we lose. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and that, and that's what's so exciting about the game. I mean, it 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 happens in moments, and you certainly have a, you know, a, a score at the end of the day, and and you can and you can regale yourself with your great shots and lie about the reasons you hit the bad shots. But uh, in the end, it's it's uh, it's four four and a half hours spent with great friends, and if they weren't friends to start with, they, you know, they are by the end of the day. Well. I think too. I see a lot of people like want to get an index. You got to get an index because that levels the playing field. And you know, yep. we have a we have a common friend that owns many restaurants. You talk, Scott. I think you know who I'm talking about. That you know his index. I do. Our good friend Taro. <laughs> I didn't say it, Taro. <laughs> Scott, but but <laughs> with that index, I can play Taro and maybe not beat him on the score but beat them overall. And uh, you got to have an index. Uh, you you got to take it for what it is. It's, it's friendly competition. And, uh, you know, we, we can't always play basketball. We all, can't always play softball, but we can play golf 
long into our 80s. I I truthfully intend to play golf when I'm 90. I think, I'm I think that's a great goal. You know, the the name of that golf course on Jackson is just driving me nuts because it was right there on the corner. Um, and um, it was uh, that's the second place I played golf as well. You know, I think it was that's a nice course. John's Women's Shelter right now and on the corner of Florida Perkins and Jackson. It was Perkins. It was Perkins Golf Course. Perkins. Was that it? Very good. Yeah. Nicely done, Frank. Yeah. Okay. Um, th those those old um, golf courses in Sacramento that uh, Lindale and and uh, Lighthouse that uh, that some of us before. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, and we all grew up on them, and and you know they've they've sort of uh, gone under or become real estate developments or whatever. But uh, you know they they certainly I think as golfers. You know, we kind of look back on those as as a, a piece of our lifetime. It's um, you know there are there are moments in our lives related to those golf courses, and for people that don't play golf, I think it's kind of hard sometimes to uh, to understand what the fascination is and and how <laughs> how, for instance, you can remember that uh, if you made the putt, you win, and if you don't, and and we we can think about a shot we made 14 years ago and still tell you what you know how many shots we hit on that hole. Isn't it funny too? I can't remember how many square feet in an acre, but I can remember what I did on a certain hole in a certain golf course. I shanked it left, and of course you did on the tee, and you can't get left again. You know, you can't seem to break through. That goes. Well, I, I do know that uh, you know as much as you play and as much as I try to play and Scott plays, none of us can keep up with how many times Taro plays. So there's uh, how he does his work. And uh, and you know and takes care of his church and his family and still has time to play all that golf. I, I haven't quite figured it out, but I, I like what he does. Well, Charles um, like me, he's got good people working for him that he trusts. Yeah, <laughs> the Phil Oates Celebrity Golf Tournament. Now I know that's something that's relatively new to your life, but uh, something that means a lot to you. Tell us a little bit about uh, how that came about and. Uh, and uh, kind of the history and what you what you plan to do with it as we go forward. Yeah, it, it about uh, Scott knows Matt Filer, one of my best friends, love him dearly, and he kept. We would go to all these tournaments, like you know, down south, most of them. And he said, "We can do this up in Sacramento. We can do it." And, and I, you know, what it was, I resisted for a couple of years because I was afraid I'd throw a party and nobody would come. <laughs> and so finally. Uh, Bill Hammond took me on as his client. He also does Cedric's tournament and Anthony Anderson's tournament in his own. Those are the only four he does. So we talked about it and I was really humbled because we announced it in December, like right around Christmas. We were sold out all 36 slots by the end of uh, January and the tournament wasn't until August. And we weren't cheap. Out of the out of the out of the box because if you're going to bring all these celebrities up, sure, you got to house them, you got to pay for them. You don't pay them to play, but it's when you go to the celebrity, it's a, it's a big number, the cost and the overhead. So the first year we did it and uh, and we made two hundred fifty thousand dollars, and it was just a really good time. Our <laughs> that year our MCs were Cedric the Entertainer and Anthony Anderson from Blackish. <laughs> held in my backyard and uh, and lead singers were the lead singers from Chicago and Earth, Wind and Fire that's the level that our that our tournament is at it's an interesting story because I lived 
at that point I was living on kind of a bluff over uh, kind of by Arden Way and down that area. And the music was quite loud on a Sunday night. And the police were there at 10 o'clock ready to shut us down. But, you know, all good, all good. I invited the people on our cult is that, but there are all sorts of people below in the valley. I couldn't invite them all. And uh, I get a card, an unsigned card on Wednesday. This is a totally true story. If you don't believe me, I'll share. I got a picture of it on my phone. It said, Mr. Oates, Jesus may love you, but we think you're a blank. <laughs> Sunday night. <laughs> so I, I'd, I'd have gone and apologized to the person. If you're listening, I would have apologized to you, but you didn't give me a phone number. You didn't give me a name. You didn't give me an address. So, you know, um, so that was our first year. Last year, we moved it because of what happened out to a really nice vineyard out in Wilton. And, uh, you know, later on, I'll, I'll tell you some of the celebrities that we do a really good job on the celebrities. And we do a good, good job on the prizes. That everything's done first class. Last year we made four hundred thousand dollars. So this year, Pretty exciting, half a million dollars because we've been increasing the price every year. And this year we'll make half a million dollars, which will put us uh, over one point one million in three years. And I'm real proud of it. That's 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 really that's really to be admired. And and. Uh, when you say you made that much money, what you mean is you made that much money for charity. Tell us a little bit about the charities that uh, that are dear to your hearts and, and well, how that money is used. I don't have a lot of good ideas in life, but I came up with one good idea. And so people were, were paying $25,000 for their group to play our tournament because I told you it's expensive. And so I went to, so let's say, Frank, you did the 25. I'd say, well, Frank, what charity do you like? And you might say Big Brothers, Big Sisters, or Bayside, or Capital. It didn't have to be a Christian. It could be, but it had to be something that I like too. I have a lot of charities I like. And I say, well, Frank, why don't you give me fifty thousand dollars? I will give back twenty five thousand dollars to your charity. So you're still only paying twenty five thousand, but you become a major sponsor. Well, now you've got uh, Bayside stepped up to a hundred thousand, so they get half of that back. Capital or Destiny stepped up for a hundred thousand. They get half of that back, and I've got about seven or eight others that do fifty to get twenty-five back. So it goes to charities that I approve of, but are really selected by the major sponsor. What a great concept! Yeah, I, what, I just looked into it. When is your tournament this year, and where is it going to be? It's October fifteenth and sixteenth. We're at Northridge again. We have not picked out where the, the pre-party is fantastic. The pre-party is more fun than Sultra. I'll bet. And uh, I mean, there's dancing, and it's just not a long show, but it, the people, the artists that we have there are really top-notch. Um, we had it at this great winery. The problem was it was Sunday night, and some people had a few too many drinks. <laughs> and Uber wouldn't come out and pick them up and wouldn't. <laughs> so we had to figure a way to get them home. And, uh, and so... This year, what we're looking at, and I've got some reservations, but we're, I, I think we're going to do it. Tell me what you think of this idea, Frank. We're going to probably do it at one of my warehouses. I think that brings everything full circle. I think that would be just absolutely fabulous. And uh, I think your dad might be smiling on you as uh, as it all happens. Yeah, it's it's, uh, and we don't have to pay obviously anything for it. So that's more money for charity, too. Sure. 
And well, Frank, can I be the first? Would you, will you, wherever we are, will you come out Sunday night? Absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you very much. You are officially invited. I appreciate that. That means a lot. My pleasure. Um, obviously, you've turned uh, what what now is, uh, I, I'm guessing, a passion for golf into uh, into an ability for you to not only enjoy yourself with friends, but uh, but also as a way of, of giving back. And giving back seems to be kind of your mantra at this point. Uh, you know, you've you've been very successful in in your company. You've helped uh, keep the kings in town, and and uh, you know, as you mentioned, Sacramento is a great place to live. I, I'm just guessing that um, that you feel in men in some ways fortunate to be where you are, and and you want to share that with others, maybe less fortunate. Well. And they say one good thing about playing golf. Sure. Play it with my daughter and my son-in-law. That kid, there's nothing better. better than getting out with your family on the weekend, teasing a little bit and competing with them. We went to Scotland last year and my daughter got like a birdie on a hole over it at uh, King's Barn. And uh, I mean, that was worth the whole trip. It was fun. Um, you know, Frank, I'm just going to say it the way it is. It's not mine anyway. It's a gift from God. I'm just a caretaker for it. And uh, I get embarrassed when some people say, well, you do so much. I, I don't do, I mean, you don't hear that. But that's my phone going off. Um, I don't think I do any more than I think our Heavenly Father expects me to do. And I don't know if that deserves any applause or credit. I really don't. Some people can go share, blah, 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 but that's really how I feel. First of all, my dad created this company. All the money I have is a blessing God gave to my dad. I'm, and then, so I don't I don't feel ownership of it. And uh, you know, I, I think that frees me up a lot to do that. And I, I think the one people that get in trouble are the ones that kind of hoard it. They just want to grip it so tight that you're, I, that's not a way to live life. You're missing the benefits of having money. I don't know if that makes sense or not. It absolutely makes sense. And it suggests to me that, that um, if I'm following you, I won't thank you for what you're doing. I'll just say uh, congratulations for what you're doing. How's that? That's the right thing to do. Thank you for having me for this time. Absolutely. Phil Oates, uh, the chairman of the board for Buzz Oates Group and, um, you know, a, um, a, a, I don't know, a great Sacramento, I guess I should say, and uh, and probably a better human being. Phil, uh, great success with your tournament coming up, continued success with your with your businesses. And certainly for all of us, let's have even more success with the Sacramento Kings. Thank you. And I'll see you on October 15th. Scott, I think you got bumped off there. October 15th, you'll be there. I can't wait to be there, Phil. It's an unbelievable tournament, and uh, we're looking forward to being a part of it. All right, terrific. Guys. Thanks so much, Phil Oates. This is the Golf to Go Radio Hour on Sacktown Sports 1140. Back with more right after this. It's the Golf to Go Hour with Frank LaRosa on Sacktown Sports. Thanks for listening to the Golf to Go Radio Hour here on Sacktown Sports 1140. Welcome back in. I'm Frank LaRosa. He's Scott Marsh, uh, Tom Morton. PGA Director of Coaching at the Hagen Oaks Golf Complex is with us this morning. Tom, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. 
Absolutely. We always we always learn something. And uh, you and I were talking earlier about uh, about this whole concept of, of team golf and, and how uh, how kids are getting into that at an early age. And, and the, the, what got us started on that was talking about the Ryder Cup. But before we get there, I, I know my, my partner there, Scott Marsh, has got, a, has got a question that he's just dying to ask because uh, last night he had uh, kind of a bit of a, um, let's say, a, a different round uh, at, uh, at our media golf league there at Hagen Oaks. And uh, Scott, Scott's got some uh, chipping yips, I guess. And, and so maybe you explain it, Scott, and ask Tommy the question. Yes, Dr. Morton, good morning. <laughs> Hopefully you can give me a prescription. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I've been playing some, actually some really good golf. Mine is just chipping around the green where I consistently am pushing things. And, um, what's interesting is like, I'll go out and practice and hit everything perfectly fine. And then I get into what I consider kind of a tournament round, at least for, for us, as close as you can get to, to real competition. And it's just, almost like the mental image of just not feeling like you can perform under the, the moment type of thing. So what would you suggest for somebody? Cause chipping's about being just really relaxed and fluid. Like how do you take that from the range to the course when you're actually playing in a, in a real situation? Yeah. First and foremost, it really is about, you know, starting making sure your processes are, um, consistent and in place with the pre-shot routine, committing to, you know, whatever shot you're doing. Um, and so first and foremost, it's really about doing that. And then when you're, um, you know, committed to it and, and over the shot, it's really about, I'd get more focused on kind of your tempo of the swing and letting that really feel like it's a lot slower. I mean, oftentimes we, we get new stages where we're have um, anxiety about the shot because we haven't been doing well and uh, we tend to speed up our pace a lot even though it may not feel that way and so even feeling like you're hitting it at like 10 to 20 percent of speed and pace tends to really uh, let you relax a little bit more and also let you perform a little bit better um, so I think that's a great starting point uh, and then also we do find a lot of golfers on the technique side with short game tend to, um, out of the gate, let their arms and club get inside uh, the target line and inside a, a lot. And so from that position, a lot of dangerous things can happen. So maybe just monitor that and make sure that's uh, not taking place. You know, Scott, listening to to you ask the question and, and having Tom answer it, 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 it suggests, and we've talked about this before, we have to figure out a way to to get some questions from our listeners because I know everybody has, you know, their own kinds of issues on the golf course and, and um, just listening to Tom explain the, uh, the process to you uh, certainly is great information for everybody. And um, so let's try and figure out a way to make it more personal as we move forward. I love that idea. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we were talking about um, uh, Tom, you and I got in a discussion about uh about the upcoming Ryder Cup and um, and the whole notion of of team golf came up and you started talking about the PGA Junior League where you know the kids are assigned a a jersey that's that's the same color as their team members they have a number on their back just like baseball teams football teams whatever and and the the whole team concept is 
relatively new to the to the to the world of golf in terms of uh, getting the kids involved but um it, it's certainly gaining great momentum and you spoke to the to the value of it and uh, and how it certainly helps um the kids as they begin to develop and and continue that relationship of of playing with their own team in effect yeah it is such a great thing and i think you know um twofold it really gained some momentum uh one because you know that stretch for the united states was really you know let's face it they were they were uh getting the you know what handed to them over and over again on the Ryder cup and i think the question was why is uh, the U.S. struggling in this team event. And then also at the time before COVID where the game was, you know, certainly if not losing a little ground, it had stayed flat for quite a while. And so when people in the game and the uh, governing body started looking into it, at a young age they realized, you know, golf is losing ground a little bit to team sports. And so, you know, golf, let's face it, golf is an individual sport. That, that isn't going to change and hasn't changed. However, you can create the team dynamic within that uh, individual uh, sport. And so, you know, the PJ Junior League was created, and that's where, you know, like I said, kids get on a team. They play, you know, they're teamed up with two or three kids on their team. They're wearing matching jerseys. They're playing at another golf course. And, you know, the quote-unquote winners and losers are those that are, you know, it's a team thing. It's not an individualized thing. So um, that has really gained a ton of momentum. There's, uh, you know, hundreds and thousands of kids doing that all over the country and then you you know you sort of look now up the chain what's going on and there's certainly you know we see high school golf growing and the numbers there are terrific obviously you have college golf as a team thing um the pj america also with some governing bodies have started um a national uh team program for you know kids that you know later high school and college age where they're um getting these young people together. And I think it is the farm system to work up to the Ryder Cup ultimately and uh, creating that incredible team dynamic, uh, which is going to lead to more participation, more fun, better golfers, and ultimately better success for the U.S. down the road. Oh, yeah. I don't really want to drag this into like PGA versus live or, or anything like that, but I'm just curious because a lot of things you're talking about are things that live is doing is, is live just following some of these trends or is live actually created some of these trends. And I'm just curious in terms of how you see long-term and how that might affect the PGA. Yeah. I mean, I think the team dynamic on the live tour isn't a crazy or bad idea. I think um, they're just, I think they're following some of the trends they're saying. I don't, that's not on the, you know, every week thing. Yeah, sure. They're the first one to really do something like that. Um, my guess is what will ultimately shake out is there might be more team competition. Um, just not every week. Uh, but I think that part of it, a lot of people like, and understandably so. I mean, let's look at the most popular sports really in the United States, right? They're team games from football to, um, you know, you look at, you know, not that baseball is super thriving, but a team sport, basketball. I mean, you look at all the major sports, so they're team sports. So people do enjoy watching that, and I think there's something to it. And um, like I said, they're also the great dynamic of people improving in that group space. You know, as as you uh, talked about uh, junior golf and the growth, um, you know, we, we we tend to kind of gloss over some things in effect, uh, which is to suggest that, you know, this this didn't just pop into your head. The, the continuing education that you've done and certainly 
many other PGA professionals as well. But but since we're talking to you and I I know your background, um, you've been involved in some national seminars. You've been you've 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 talked to your network uh, is in effect around the world, but certainly around the country and into Canada. And and um, you you continue to to learn these new concepts and and bring them here to Hagen Oaks uh, with your junior program and they certainly begin to kind of branch out and 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 become sort of commonplace uh, talk about the the concept of of you know staying in touch with with what's coming up that's new that's not necessarily what we've always done and and here's something else we can try yeah, i mean one of the most valuable things i was fortunate enough to be able to do was um Again, years ago, I was able to be on what's called the uh, creation of ADM for golf for the, the United States, and that's the athletic development model. And most all other countries have had uh, something of this nature. And, you know, again, it gets back to uh, the United States felt like they're losing ground in um, both in creating players, but also doing it the right way. And then, you know, spitting out not only more golfers in general, but also better golfers. And so, you know, on that committee were folks like the um, the lead of coaching the United States Olympic Committee, the uh, head doctor for the NCAA. Um, you had um, the gentleman who created the, you know, 10-year, 10 10,000-hour 10, rule uh, for, you know, learning skills was on the uh, committee. And so, uh, there was just an amazing group of, of folks from all over the world, and uh, to be able to sit there and to, you know, certainly share experience at the grassroots level with golf, but also hear it from uh, amazing folks like that, um, really, really, really uh, changed, you know, how I look at uh, growing young people in the game, but also uh, certainly then what we deliver at our properties. I was out walking with my grandson the other night and bumped into a neighbor who had uh taken her grandson to one of the junior programs and uh, was just, you know, couldn't say enough about uh, about the, you know, the colorful uh, tools that are being used, the different stations. And and it's not just about, you know, stand there and hit balls. It's it, it you're, you're really developing um, an appreciation, um, you know, a, a, a sense of excitement and um, and and letting the kids kind of find their their own way into it. Yeah, I mean, the research of learning points to all that being necessary, right, especially at a younger age. And, you know, first and foremost, if we can create the love and excitement and passion for that kid, you know, no child or no person is going to be good at something unless they care about it a lot and want to do it. And so, um, you know, that certainly is a big thing for us to make sure that that's happening. And also, again, how learning looks uh, and should look uh, doesn't necessarily look like how people think it should, meaning that most people think, learning is someone tells you to do something and then you're supposed to do it. That's actually not the best way to learn something is, you know, sort of experiencing it and learning and failing and overcoming those failures and the struggle with it and creating, um, you know, let's say a, a young person, we'd get on the range and we're looking at grip. We have them grip it three, four or five different ways so they can experience what all that is. And then certainly, you know, one of those things is going to be more successful for them. And so that's, you know, just the way we go about it. And uh, it's the way that, like I said, learning needs to happen. And it's a long process. As we say, it's a marathon, not a sprint. What what age are we starting kids now? We choose to start kids around 
uh, age three and are taught from the C program at age three and four. And certainly there's, you know, that's much, much, much more just fun and experience. I mean, there's, as there shouldn't be lots of uh, quote unquote golf instruction going on because um, that's just a child getting to learn and, you know, touch and feel a club and then hit some balls. And the research from the National Golf Foundation points to the fact that at a young age, you know, you're three, four, five, six years old, if you can get a child to, you know, play a little bit, even if they stop playing for five, eight, ten years, they're, the percentage of them going back to the game as an adult, I think, went up something like 50 to 70 percent. And the reason behind it is because golf, certainly there can be barriers and intimidation factors to get in, but when they look back and they go, oh, I did that as a child, I have no problem, and so they'll jump in without worrying about it. Scott, what age were you when you started playing? Uh, 25. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, a lot older, but I, I agree with that point because I feel like uh, obviously you learn a lot more when you're younger too. I mean, for example, you know, kids who are six to seven can learn five languages in a year, right? And for some reason, an adult trying to learn a second language might be a lifetime experience. So, I mean, that that's something great to get everybody started so early. Tom, where do you see this? Where do you see this going? I mean, we've we've progressed so much in in the past, you know, ten years. Uh, what's the next ten years look like, or can you can you even predict? Like with anything, you know, we learn from uh, what's going on in the past and from today, and then that will make us better in the future. And you know, as more and more research and stuff comes out, we're just going to get better on how to work with people. And um, you know, what I see is the game really continuing to grow and thrive and which is fantastic you know uh you know the greatest gift the game has been given over the last 20 plus years was you know the pandemic and because people could go play golf and they did go play golf and uh they stuck with it and so i think we have a you know much bigger population coming into the game i mean the amount of kids right now in fact you and i were just talking about one before we started and uh, the amount of kids wanting to look at the game and get into the game and even stopping playing other sports to check out golf is, is pretty unbelievable right now. So we need to use these tools and continue to get better to uh, hold on to these people getting into the game for the future of it. The other difference that I see is that uh, the the new players coming in are much more passionate about it much more quickly. I mean, they they jump in both feet as opposed to when we might have started, um, Scott, I don't know how often you played when you were 25, but, you know, when I first started, maybe you played once every six weeks or something like that. It was just another activity. Now it seems, let me, let me at a golf course. I want to play. It's certainly my case. I mean, it's, it's one of those games that as you play more, you want to play more. It's, it's, it's really addicting in a really good sense because, it's it's one thing that you can constantly work on on an individual level if you want to just to continually improve and it's something that you can literally do any day you want so um for me i find that really satisfying as an adult and really the crux of it is and i, I literally witnessed this as i was uh walking to my office teeing off in the first tee here was um one of my students who just won the california state amateur championship uh a few weeks ago, is teeing off and playing with his grandfather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, that that to me is, you have this, you know, honestly, one of the better amateur golfers in the country, yeah. and then playing with his grandfather and going to have a great time. That That's what it's about. 
Yeah. It's generational. It's across all dividing lines. That's, that's truly, the game is truly universal in that respect. And that's the one thing I think golf has on any other sport that you can possibly talk about. I, I don't know that I, anything I could say can top that mental picture of your student and his grandfather teeing off. So uh, when you think about whether you want to play golf or not, just think about that. Thank you so much, Tom Morton, PGA director of coaching at the Hagen Oaks golf complex. Uh, you're, you're a breath of fresh air and we appreciate uh, everything you bring to the radio show. This is the golf to go radio hour on Sacktown sports, 1140. Uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, this wraps up another hour. We appreciate your listening. Give the game a try. Play with your grandfather. <laughs>